I'm Bruce Worson, pastor of His Place Community Church. The following message came from a Sunday morning right here at His Place. Today, we're facing the painful fact that pain itself is just part of the process of a good fight. But first, I got a couple thoughts. These are my after Easter thoughts. Um, why, I, I, just to make sure you all know what Gentile is, Gentile is just simply a non-Jew. And I think the majority of us are Gentiles. So why did us Gentiles have to wait for Jesus? On Easter, we talked about the, uh, the centurion who was at attention at the cross, who was the first person, let alone Gentile, uh, let alone the guy in charge of Jesus' death. He's the first one to declare Jesus as the Son of God after he died, let alone Roman. Talked about that, for which this was treason, because only Caesar could be called by that name. But this moment, and I touched on it, we're going to carry it further. This was like the shot heard around the world in that it unleashed a second wave of prophetic actions regarding us Gentile dogs, which <laughs> is what we're called. That's what we're called. The little dogs under the table get the breadcrumbs too. But this launched this prophetic wave of actions because this, Jesus' death, this proclaiming by this Gentile centurion was the launching of the one who had famously been sent only to the house of Israel to now go out to the lost sheep of the house of the rest of the world. As Jesus himself had said, is it not written? And it is in Isaiah 56, 7. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. And he said, I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and other sheep, that's us, other sheep I have, which are not of this Jewish fold. Them also I must bring, and they will hear my voice. We're the other sheep. And there will be one flock and one shepherd. So why do we have to wait? Are we second-class sheep? <laughs> no, of course not. Everyone in the world was, had been, and currently is in this together. One flock. Because we're one family. Because we all came over on the same boat. The one like the one out in the parking lot, outside. But one side of the family kept a tight grip on God's truth in order to confirm God's son when he came. Whereas us Gentiles were all over the place with our gods. For I tell you, writes, writes the Apostle Paul to the Roman Gentiles, that Christ has become a servant of the, you really need to, to listen to this closely. It's really good. Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth 
to confirm the promises made to the patriarchs so that those Gentiles, <laughs> the Gentiles may glorify God for his mercy. And sometimes we get hung up on glorify. Psalm 50, 23 absolutely defines it when God says, whoever offers praise glorifies me. So this was done so that the Gentiles may praise God for his mercy. He goes on, as it is written, and it's by David in Psalm 18, 49. Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing hymns to your name. Son of God. Again, it says, now he jumps to Deuteronomy. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And it goes on with several more. And, and yes, the Jews were confused and refused to believe and receive to a very large degree. But once Jesus rose, tens of thousands Jews embraced him and brought him to us heathen dogs. So I want you to raise your hand. I mean, everyone's tracing their roots back. So you be thinking here, if you can trace your roots, if you know that your family line goes back to one of these places, either goes back to South America or Africa or Australia or Asia or Scandinavia or anywhere in Europe, if your roots, your family tree goes back to any of those places, raise your hand and look around. See? See? Heathens all. <laughs> so, so God begins. God begins with the centurion in charge of Jesus' death to declare him. And then he goes on to enlist the guy in charge of killing all of Jesus' followers. Saul, a.k.a. Paul. That's, that's so wonderful. Those are God's first two choices there. It says in Acts 9, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And on his journey, suddenly, a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Oh, and then when his eyes focused, guess who it was? Well, it's Jesus himself. Long story short, I don't know if you know how Saul became Paul. Saul changes the first letter of his name from S, which coincidentally in Hebrew is the letter sin. <laughs> it's just because it is. Uh, and it symbolized uh, gnashing teeth, devouring teeth, because their letters were word pictures. And he changed that to P, or they called pay, which was the symbol of an open declaring mouth. And he's like, you know what? I'm done devouring and I want to declare. So let's take the sin out of my name and let's give it a pay hole. <laughs> Can I say that? Sure. And Paul embarks on his first missionary journey to bring our ancestors into the fold. God bless him because we weren't easy. You thought the Jews were tough. Oh boy. Now at the same time, 
The, the, the Lord's doing all this with Paul. All this is going on. Jesus, who was very busy after his death, is sending Peter to the house of an Italian centurion who may or may not be the same guy who was at the cross. I don't know, but people debate it. But for myself, I just can't picture. Surely that's what was of the Son of God. I don't even know if we can still tease the Italians like that, so pretend you didn't hear it. In Acts, it says, Cornelius a centurion of what was called the Italian regiment, a devout man and one who feared God with all his household, long story short, is visited by a very reluctant apostle, Peter, who suddenly realizes what the Lord is doing. Then Peter opened his mouth and said, in truth, which means in scripture, which meant in the Old Testament. In truth, I perceive that God shows no partiality. He's saying, uh, I've come to realize what the Bible has said all along. But in every nation, whoever fears him and, and works righteousness is accepted by him. There's room for everyone. Plenty of suffering and affliction to go around because nobody gets out of this battle alive. Not even God's own son, who said the night before his crucifixion, in this world, you will have trouble. And also had said about our crucifixions, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, whatever's, whatever's coming between you and God's will, and follow me. Oh boy, that's not a great campaign slogan. And if your reflexive uh, you know, thought is, well, that's not what I signed up for, then you better think again about what you did sign up for. And, and is... Is it what Jesus would call following? Later, Paul uses suffering to validate the sincerity of his faith. That's, that's a real interesting concept. It's like he points to all his suffering and goes, hey, would my motives be impure if I'm putting up with this? So I want to read a little bit. This, this is a funny scripture because he's, very, he's a bit miffed. Paul is a bit miffed when his motivations are maligned. And he's, he's always fine to write out his thoughts. And so he says, since many are boasting in the way the world does, I too will boast. Are they servants of Christ? And look what he writes. I, I am out of my mind to talk like this. <laughs> but here goes. I am more. I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five, try to keep up, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. For those of you doing the math, that's 195 lashes. I can't imagine what Paul's back looked like. We've seen it depicted on Jesus. He did five of those. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles. That's us. That's us. The list goes on. I want to read you this list and just say right now to believe that faith in Christ promises health, wealth, and a happy retirement or quick and easy answers to pain and suffering requires a psychotic level of denial of what's recorded in the Bible. I'll tell you what you're promised. Affliction. We don't like to talk about that, but affliction is part of our process. I mean, the Bible just talks about it all over the place. Look how, look how Paul describes that horrendous list. I didn't read the whole thing. Look how he describes that horrendous list of his sufferings. This light, momentary affliction, <laughs> oh my, is preparing for us. It's, it's, it's working for us. It's working on our behalf. An eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. For the things that are seen are, are transient. They're just are fleeting. And I go, but still, Paul, light and momentary affliction. He would say, well, by comparison, by comparison, if you're, if you're seeing the truth of the, the weight of eternal glory, that's why treason couldn't silence the centurion. He saw it in the face of Christ. And it's, well, whatever, whatever else can't compare to what I've seen. I've got to declare it. But, but let's think about us. We're a little soft. I, I look at the light momentary affliction. Some of us wouldn't use those words to describe a bad haircut. I've heard people go on and on. You see, whenever we have a problem, you and I, whenever we have a problem, we actually have two problems every time. Two problems. First, the problem. And then second, the way we perceive the problem. Which is a problem. Because it is often a much bigger problem than the actual problem, which is very problematic. So I want you to picture yourself holding a mega millions ticket while they're calling the numbers. Look into that ticket and watching them call every number on it. Imagine what you would feel like in that moment. Whatever financially related troubles and issues that, that you might have had just a moment before are still there. They're, they didn't go away, they're still there. Now, they might as well have gone away, right? Because the blessing you're holding is vastly more valuable than the sum of all your debts, dues, and liabilities combined once redeemed. But you're focused on it. If it had been in a drawer, you, didn't, you wouldn't even know you won. And you'd still be focused on all the problems. They didn't go away. They just disappeared. Because what you're holding in your hand well, by comparison, this light, momentary affliction is preparing for you and me, for us, an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And I'll tell you, a sharpened sense of 
temporal versus eternal is vital for the fruit of the Spirit like peace and joy to flourish in our lives, having that grasp of what is eternal and what is fleeting. How intensely would you grip that winning ticket when you saw you had every number? You just gonna, you know, haphazardly lay it down here or there? Of course not. How intensely are you gonna grip that thing? I'm not <laughs> take me to the store. <laughs> I'm not letting this out of my hand. Well, here's the thing. The suffering Paul's describing, which no doubt leaves slow healing wounds and lifelong scars, requires a strong grip on God's love and purpose, a, a rock-solid hope in the rock of our salvation and his plan. Because however catastrophic the crisis, when viewed through the lens, appropriately through the lens of the, the light of eternal glory, it, it just weakens, diminishes its, its power to overpower. Uh, we got a bunch of scripture, but it's story scripture, and I really like it. I just want to tell, I want to give you a story. This is Paul on his first missionary journey. It says, Saul, who also is called Paul, came to Antioch in Pisidia. That's the place, the picture behind the words, with Barnabas, his friend, and went into the synagogue on the Sabbath. And there's a big speech. He does a great job of summing up everything from Moses to John the Baptist to Jesus. Uh, and then he says, sons of the family, oh, oh, get this right, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to you the word of this salvation has been sent. And then uh, he explains how Jesus was rejected in Jerusalem. And after that he says, Beware therefore, lest what has been spoken in the prophets come upon you. And then he quotes Habakkuk 1.5, Behold you despisers, Marvel and perish, which they will. For I work a work in your days. And for some reason, we don't real quickly understand what he's saying here. This is very specific. He's talking about the, the time between the death of resurrection of Jesus and the utter destruction of Jerusalem and the Holy Lands in 70 AD. So 40 years or so after Jesus dies. Remember, Jesus said, not a stone is going to be left. It's going to be scraped clean. And so this is that moment after Jesus, before destruction, that was called the day of salvation. Behold, you despisers, marvel and perish. For I work a work in your days, a work which you will by no means believe, though one were to declare it to you. So when the Jews went out of the synagogue, the Gentiles begged that, these <laughs> begged that these words might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Yeah, go ancestors. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. But when the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy. And contradicting and blaspheming, they opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas did not put their tail between their legs. No, then they grew bold. They grew bold and said, it was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first. But since you reject it 
and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, behold, we turn to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us. It's in Isaiah 49, 6. I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. And boy, would we be the definition of that. <laughs> now, when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and fulfilled scripture and glorified, praised the word of the Lord. Yay, ancestors. But the Jews stirred up the devout and prominent women and the chief men of the city raised up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and came to Iconium, where they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles, ancestors and poison their minds. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra. And they were preaching the gospel there. Among, we're not sure what the people were called. Some say Lystrians. I prefer Lystrines. I just like the Lystrines. Has a ring to it. That right there is Lystra. We know it is. That's the town of Lystra, and that mound has never been excavated. So the secrets of the Listerines are just waiting to be discovered. Though I think we all know what they bound to find had to start somewhere. Get that in your head. And in Lystra, a certain man without strength in his feet was sitting, a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked. The man heard Paul speaking. Well, observing him intently and seeing that he had faith to be healed, Paul said with a loud voice, Hey, stand up! St stand up straight on your feet! And he leaped up and walked, I assume, ready to fight the germs that cause bad breath. I assume, because he's a sturdy. Now, when the people saw the, what Paul had done, they raised their voices saying in the Lyconian language, the gods have come down to us in the likeness of men. Pause. When they say gods, they're being very specific. We know this from history. We also know it from scripture. They mean two gods specifically. They mean Hermes, who was the spokesman god, the messenger of the gods. I gave him the shorts. I just, I just had to put something on him. Hermes was needing some modesty. And it's, and it's not like he's not holding a blanket. Seems like the guy sculpted would have said, hey, I think you have the blanket for a reason. Anyway, so they met Hermes and Zeus, who was the father of the gods. And he knows how to use a blanket. So that's why he's the father of the gods, I guess. Hermes is the messenger, though obviously didn't get the message about how to use a blanket. All that to say, the Lystrians, the Listerines were really big into Zeus and Hermes, and they just saw this miracle. So what do our ancestors do? Oh, and Barnabas they called Zeus, 
and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Zeus brought oxen and garlands to the gate intending to sacrifice with the multitudes to Paul and Barnabas. <laughs> Barnabas and Paul heard this. They, they tore their clothes. and No, they're just going to think you're really going to think you're Hermes now. And ran in among the multitude crying out saying, men, why are you doing these things? And don't you just hate it when your relatives embarrass you? I mean, come on, guys. We also, they're, they're shouting. These guys, are they're, they're killing the cow. We also are men with the same nature as you and preach to you that you should turn from these useless things to the living God who in bygone generations allowed all nations to walk in their own ways. And it's a beautiful speech. I just condensed it. And with these sayings, well, they could scarcely restrain the multitudes from sacrificing to them. And that's why Jesus couldn't first come to the house of the rest of the world. We were all over the place with our gods. Plus, if that's not bad enough, then Jews from Antioch and Iconium came there and having persuaded the multitudes, well, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. We're nothing if not fickle. Let's sacrifice to him. No, let's kill him. However, when the disciples gathered around him, he rose up and, get this, went into the city. As I was saying, <laughs> and the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. And when they had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, exhorting them to continue in the faith and saying, we, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. Things don't get better for Paul. At the end of it all, he's in a dungeon, most likely this dungeon right here, the Mamertine or Mamertine, writing his last letter, 2 Timothy, while awaiting execution. He's writing while waiting, awaiting execution to encourage his beloved son in the faith, Timothy, who was a Listerine. To encourage him at a time when Nero is tossing Christians to the lions and tarring and lighting them up like literal torches. Here's the gist of 2 Timothy. Paul writes, God did not give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. And we get the love, we get the self-discipline. What's he mean by the power? Spirit of power for what? Well, he'll tell you. Because here's his encouragement. Join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, simply means set apart and dedicated for service. Set apart and dedicated. Everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I have fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I have kept the faith. At my first defense, no one, no one came to my support. But everyone deserted me. But he understands. May it not be held against them. 
but the Lord stood at my side and gave me strength so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. Thank you, Paul. And I was delivered from the lion's mouth. So there is that. We're not really persecuted, are we? I mean, come on. I mean, compared to being thrown to lions, locked up, lit up, otherwise executed, it's a huge blessing. And we can let this blessing warp our thinking. We, we can get so comfy in our somewhat Christian frog kettle culture that we confuse trust with entitlement and begin to expect the Lord to attend to our desires on our timetable over his eternal plans and purpose. But that is so Zeus and Hermes. Let that die out with our ancestors. We're called to a holy life, not an easy life. Set apart, and dedicated, and dependent on our Father's power to stay faithful to his purpose no matter what. I'm no prophet, but I will tell you one thing's for sure. There will be moments in your uniquely, in my uniquely 21st century future when you're going to have to decide in that moment whether you are going to stay the course or abandon ship. And you need to make that decision now, not then. And prepare yourself on a daily basis. Otherwise, it might overtake you when it comes. And it's going to come. I mean, we all have those moments. Some of you are going through them right now. Some of you are devastated right now. The enemy loves to whisper in your ear that the fight's been fought and you lost. But that's a big old lie. Because if you can hear it or fear it, you can fight it. Don't lay down like a dog and whimper. That's for those who don't prepare. No, we, this church, we fight the good fight to the last breath, fresh or otherwise. Because we know that even the champion ends up battered and bruised if it was a good fight. You know how I know? Rocky. Rocky knows. Rocky knows it ain't over till it's over. My goodness, he was 69 years old in the last movie. It's crazy. You know what else Rocky knows? Shorts. There you go. Nice. Our statutes, that's, that's how you do that. Well, I'll tell you this. I've made my, I, I'm absolutely being honest and sincere. I have made my decision about my decision. And I do prepare for it on a daily basis. So whether my finances tank, a blood test is devastating, or I'm betrayed or ab ab abandoned by someone I love, all of which has happened to me, I will be ready and steady to stay the course and to live in a way on that day that will allow me to say with my final words, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. And I'm going out in a blaze of eternal glory because I have kept the faith. And I cannot imagine any better last 
thought to have. Let's pray. Father God, we love you and glorify you. And, and, and we've made or we're making that decision to stay the course come what may by daily depending on your great mercy and power. So Holy Spirit, keep us steady, make us ready and strengthen our grip on your mercy and love. Lord Jesus, the sum of all the world's possessions and problems cannot hold a candle to the light of the glory of your victory. So we thank you, praise you, and take up our cross and follow. And everybody said, amen. Well, thanks for listening in. Why don't you join us on a Sunday morning? If you'd like more information about the church, just point your browser to hisplacechurch.com. Until next time, may the Lord bless you, keep you, and make his face shine upon you.